This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Leadership Transformation Platform, Multiplying Authentic Leaders, Moving Society. I'm Adrian Grunewald. With me, the old man, Louis Grunewald. It's wonderful to be with you, our usual weekly leadership masterclass. And we have a very special guest, very topical, certainly within the context of South Africa, but she has made herself relevant, and I love that. She's put up her hand and said, here I am. We're going to make a difference as a business leader. And I think that may have changed the course of, of, of things. So, um, But before we go there, for all things leadership, go to leadershipplatform.com. One word, two Ps in the middle. Okay, so for our leadership masterclass, we're going to chat about leadership for a little bit, and then we'll get to know her better as well, is Magda Virzyska, um the CEO of Signia. And as was said a recent business show, seems like she doesn't need much introduction these days. Magda, thank you for joining us all the way from Cape Town. Absolute pleasure. So Magda, I mean, as I said, we will find out a little bit more about you as a person and leader soon. But first, like we ask all top leaders we put on this program, is to share with us some statements that to them best describe authentic leadership. Because to us, that is the solution in our, I almost want to say our... um, dilapidated society in some ways. We need authentic <laughs> leaders. There are many out there, but um, we need to get them to raise their hands more often and more frequently. So we're just going to ask you to share with us one by one a couple of statements that do you describe authentic leadership, and then we'll ask you a, a few broader questions around leadership. Okay. So, so think, fire know, away. What, what, what do you describe authentic leadership? So authentic leadership in South Africa has to be seen in the context of South Africa and where we are as a society. Um, and obviously, you know, I don't think it escapes anyone that we are living through period of political volatility, economic volatility, but also we're living in a society with enormous amount of inequality. So, you know, no leader can call himself or herself a leader without recognizing that. Um, so to me, leadership and being a leader, um, you have to be someone who has the understanding um, of the importance of sound economics and sound economic policies, and then has the strategy uh, within their own business of how to translate this into job creation in South Africa and into resolving this issue of inequality in South Africa. Um, So that's the first one. Um, To me, a leader is someone who commands respect due to their very high levels of personal... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I just want us to get stuck on that first one a little bit, if we we may. Okay. Uh, what, what I heard you say was certainly a leader must understand the context. And in South Africa specifically, the context is an unemployment challenge, for example. Right. And the, therefore, a leader must un- understand the economics and how their business is going to create um, jobs for that context. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So I, I know that um, the old man next to me, Louis, feels very strongly about environmental confidence and certainly the big picture context that we need as a leader. You can't lead against the backdrop of no context. So, Louis, you want to say something about that specific leadership principle that Magda shared with us? Hi, Magda. This is Louis. I um, appreciate your point. We believe very strongly, Magda, that that, uh, authentic leadership 
is about contextual relevance. And this is exactly the point you mentioned. You have to place your leadership hat in the context with which you are leading. And certainly our country, this is very important. We do find that leaders are, are, are succeeding or failing to a great extent according to their ability to understand the contextual relevance of what they're doing. So we appreciate that point. Okay, excellent point. The next one, mm, sorry, Magda, go. I think it's also a point about the fact that, um, you know, given that we're living through these unprecedented times when, you know, economics and politics have effectively converged in South Africa, um, one needs to be, you know, acutely aware of what is happening and what influence one can have on the political outcome so that, you know, the political outcome can then drive sound economic policies and a sound economic outcome for South Africa. Uh, because without the first, you know, we're not going to have the second. Um, and without, you know, standing up mm. and playing a role in influencing, you know, and, and perhaps not influencing the politics so much as speaking up um, against issues such as corruption right now. Um, you know, we are not going to have an economy to speak of. Um, so leadership in South Africa right now is a very specific issue. Yeah, and, 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 and thank goodness to leaders like yourself and then others following, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the next uh, principle that to you most describe an authentic leader, you mentioned respect. Just introduce us to that one. So to me, an authentic leader is someone who commands respect due to their own high levels of personal integrity, honor, and most importantly, strength of character. Uh, you can't okay. lead yeah. unless people respect you for the, your principles, for what you stand for, and you need to make sure that your actions back what you say. You know, I very often hear empty words and empty promises being made, but I, I see no action to back it up. So the only way that you can actually command that respect is to back up what you say with action, and that takes strength of character and bravery. And that's sort of moral action, um, but also, I guess, performance. Or, or, I mean, you, it's difficult to command respect as a business leader if you have a failing track record or a political leader when you have a failing track record. Would you agree with that? I mean, that, that, that's part of it. 100%. So, you know, you have to be able to demonstrate that, um, you know, what you stand for then results in the correct outcomes. I mean, obviously, if, if you know, what you stand for um, leads to nothing, then, then that will lead to no respect. Um, so you do have to have a personal track record to back up what you're saying and what you're doing. And, you know, it better be a successful track record at that. Yeah, I have met leaders who seem to have, be, you know, are morally upstanding individuals and kind and gentle and so on, but uh, but they don't seem to get the performance out of their people in some way, shape or form. I mean, that, uh, that doesn't help much either. All right. Um, Louis, do you want to comment to that? And then we can go to another point that yes. Magda feels she describes an authentic leader. Magda, I think that point is especially relevant in South Africa where we have uh, social media surges of opinion and everybody expresses their opinions so easily 
so readily. And quite frankly, the question whether they can match their opinions by actions is often not even uh, uh, mentioned. <laughs> so I think as Africa, we need to build the trust again that people uh, say what they mean. And it's so simple but so powerful. So I think the point is a valid one, Magda, really. Yes. Good point. You're right there, yeah. 100%. Magda, yeah, and you also in, in, in social media, I think the difference is you seem to back it up with action. But all right, before we <laughs> go there, uh, what else do you describe an authentic leader? Well, authentic leader, again, in South African context, is someone who can bring together diverse groups um, into a conversation where everyone can agree a common game plan. Um, irrespective of their divergent views or their divergent opinions or their divergent backgrounds. Because, you know, that's the only way that we can create inclusivity, whether that is inclusive growth in the economy or inclusive growth in terms of a business strategy. Um, and that's, you know, quite a task to find people who can merge those groups together and who can get everyone um, to bring to the party sufficient amount of goodwill and some compromises to um, reach, you know, kind of a collective game plan. I, I, I asked the question, why would one leader be able to bring a diverse group of individuals with different views and backgrounds together and another can't? Because that does happen. You know, a brilliant individual just can't get that right and, and then another brilliant individual can. Indeed. I mean, look, you know, in politics, it's easy to look at politics, but, um, you know, in the political s uh, space, a leader is someone who can bring together business, civil society, trade unions, you know, pe people from very, very divergent backgrounds and divergent point of views, but who through a little bit of a carrot, a little bit of a stick can reach an agreement on what needs to happen in order to, for instance, get South Africa out of a flatlining economy, out of junk status. Um, and something like that will take enormous strength of character. And um, simply because people are coming at it from different points of view. And yet we need to solve South Africa's problems and we need to do it quickly. Okay, I like that one. Um, I like that a lot. Any other principles that you describe an authentic leader? You know, and I think um, an authentic leader is someone who is willing to prioritize the interests of others ahead of his or her own. Um, so it is someone who respects others, um, who can perceive different points of view, who doesn't try to impose their own views on the collective, um, and in fact who is willing to step back and listen to others um, in order to, again, come to a common game plan, for want of a better word. Okay. Yeah, I can stand back. And Louis, any comments on that? I'd just like to mention a bit on the previous point, uh, uh, Adrian, Magda. Magda, we speak of that ability to bring together diverse groups, um, which, of course, is probably one of the great skills necessary in our country. Um, I recall the last month spending time with a completely diverse group of uh, all kind of differences and how 
this group has got together in a very powerful leadership group. It can be done. But my point is, in the old days, one would say this was a kind of diplomatic skill. The truth is, you mentioned it must be able to uh, promote goodwill and then compromise in terms of agreeing together. But the truth is, nowadays, Magda, what's needed is, first of all, the ability to sense and feel the goodwill of, of the leader. In other words, one must feel there's no prejudice, there's genuine uh, understanding and respect. The point now you mentioned, uh, the ability to put other people's opinions first. And then the compromise follows from there. But if you want to be purely a diplomat, like perhaps the old model, people see through that. And if the leader doesn't have a genuine, authentic sense of goodwill to all people, carries no grudges, etc., it's very difficult to arrive at acceptable compromise. Do you agree with that? 100%. I think you've got to have empathy and true empathy with the views of others. So, you know, if you are by nature a selfish, um, grandstanding individual, um, chances of getting others to follow your lead are not great. Um, so you do have to come across as genuine, um, you've got to come across as someone who understands the needs and the uh, motivations of those around you and who somehow can, you know, bring out the best in everyone rather than just, you know, allowing um, a pointless debate to continue. So, so it is someone with great EQ um, rather than IQ necessarily. I would prioritize EQ ahead of IQ when it comes to leadership. It's very interesting. Uh, as I've engaged leaders over the years, I've come to understand, especially in politics, but also in business, but in politics, that the, the, the position of a leader becomes the biggest leader to be able to engage people and for people around that leader to be normal and, and to feel that they can be themselves and that they can share their views and their opinions um, because there's such a strong perception of power in politics. I've seen how people grovel around ministers or deputy ministers, how they, uh, how they, they, they talk to them almost like they're demigods. And, and, and then I look at, at the situation, I think it, it is just not possible for this leader to see the situation for what it really is. People are telling this leader what he or she wants to hear. They don't dare say anything that is out of sync yeah. with what that leader's beliefs and, and views. And in politics, I think that's a massive challenge. I mean, President Zuma, I've interviewed him. You, you know, you look at how people treat him. I can hardly imagine that that he gets the truth from the people around him uh, or, or, or the full picture. And, and and that is a big stumbling block in corporate also, but maybe less so. Well, it's also, you know, it's, it's the perception of power. And I've always said that, you know, leaders must be humble. There is no space for hubris. When hubris takes over, and we've seen examples of that, you know, where people start thinking, believing their own stories, um, that's where the problems come in. Um, and I think you see it in the corporate world, and you see it in politics. It's obviously easier to identify in politics. Um, but, you know, you see it in the corporate world as well. At the end of the day, you know, many employees are dependent on their bosses for bonuses and for salaries, for promotions and increases. So as a consequence, um, you know, if, if you are mm. the type of um, a leader who, who 
uh, suppresses the views of others or who likes to hear the reinforcement of their own views um, and does not allow the diversity of opinions to come through, then, you know, good luck to your business strategy. Yep. Magda, I, I want you to give us a quick run down of your career and how you ended up as CEO of Signia. Unless there's one other principle you want to share with us, we are going to talk more about leadership, of course, but any other principles that you think describe authentic leadership best? No, I think I've given you <laughs> my main Some good ones. points. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested, I mean, uh, I, I don't know how long you've led here in South Africa. I haven't followed you particularly or necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like you've been here for at least 10 years because you've done miracles with Thank the business God. from 2006. Thank you, odd years. Okay, so you've, you've been around the block here. Um, but your, your quick rundown of your career so that people know who Magda is. Um, so, you know, I arrived in the country when I was 13 years old. I was a refugee from Eastern Europe, from Poland, um, having spent a year in a refugee camp. Um, I studied, we arrived in Pretoria, so I studied at Pretoria High School for Girls. Uh, when I wanted to go to university, um, my parents obviously couldn't afford to send me to university, so I needed a bursary, and the only bursary going was one for actuarial science. Um, so without knowing what actuarial science was, I applied. I got a bursary, so thank goodness that paid for all of my studies, um, all of my food, and all of my clothes. Um, and then, you know, I had a couple of years of having to work off my bursary in insurance companies, but, um, you know, and I'll skip over that. That wasn't, you know, particularly meaningful. Um, what was meaningful was when I was approached by a small outfit in those days called Coronation Fund Managers. They were a couple of years out of the starting blocks. And they just appointed a new yeah. CEO. Um, and they needed someone who would handle everything else but investments. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, they approached me. I think I was employee number 14 at Coronation. Um, and the new CEO said to me, you know, he'll take care of the investment team and I must take care of everything else because they want to manage money and they don't want to know. Um, and what they didn't want to know about is they didn't want to know about administration. They didn't want to know about clients or about products or about the legal side of the business. Um, so I was given enormous amount of free reign to, you know, I call it my Wild West days to effectively launch products, launch companies, uh, attract new business, speak to clients, manage clients, administer the assets. So I learned Mm. a lot, you know, by doing that. It was kind of the greatest MBA because no one interfered in what I did, and I was 25 years old. So I think that gave me a very good start. Um, You know, I also had to manage people, and I can't say that, you know, in those early formative years, I was the best manager because, you know, you you can't be not at the age of 25 or 26. You just, you know, you haven't learned the lessons yet. Uh, But I did learn the business side of things, operational business side of things. And then when Coronation decided to list, um, and it became apparent that, you know, none of us, irrespective of, uh, you know, our seniority in the company, were going to become shareholders in that business. Um, I left Coronation. I was 32. I started my own business, a fund of hedge funds business, which lasted for about six months because during that period, you know, you are driven by enthusiasm of youth and you don't know how much you don't know. 
So in those six months, I learned how much I didn't know about running a business. But fortunately for me, and you know, there were a number of people who walked out of Coronation, who followed me, who worked for me for no salaries. Um, and that just created enormous amount of stress in my life. But six months into that, I was approached by a great character in my life from whom I have learned enormous amount, um, not only about business, but more importantly about the reality of South Africa, the politics of South Africa and history of South Africa. And that was uh, a gentleman by the name of Nzi Kumalo, who spent 13 mm. years on Robben Island with uh, Nelson Mandela. And, um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about Nzi. And in those years, um, there was a lot of misinformation about Nzi. He's a great businessman um, and he's a great character. And I've got nothing but utmost, utmost respect from Nzi. Uh, he was, you know, one of the senior commanders of, of Umkonto Vesizwe. So he was not a man to be trifled with. Um, incredible strength of character and incredible leadership abilities. I, you know, when I watched him in the boardroom, it was just some, you know, a sight to behold. And he bought a company called African Harvest. It was a bit of a failure of a company. In fact, it was being liquidated when he bought it. Um, and he invited me to lunch through a third party. And he said to me, Magda, you've got a business. I've got a business. Let's make a deal. Now, you know, I thought he had a business. Um, I had an office with some people with no salaries. So I was very keen to, to do that deal. Um, what I didn't know is that the company he bought was in deep trouble and that, you know, the day I arrived at African Harvest, there was a white envelope on the desk um, in which there was a very thick due diligence report on African Harvest, which was commissioned by Mzi after he bought the company. And in that report, you know, it just detailed everything from tax issues to people issues. Um, so it was a bit of a horror show. And I remember phoning Z and saying, um, Z, what on earth is this? And he said to me, Magda, it's not that I didn't tell you the truth. It's just that you didn't ask the right questions. Um, but, you know, I then took over running African Harvest. And in a space of three years, we managed to, I surrounded myself with a very strong team, operational team. Um, and we managed to turn that business around. We managed to grow it from managing 10 billion rand in assets and uh, losing assets by the day to managing 35 billion, uh, which made us the largest majority black-owned asset management company in South Africa. Um, and then three years into that experience, Mzi found me one day and said, Magda, I think I can recover the money I invested in this business. So thank you. Could you please sell it as quickly as possible? Oh, yes. Um, and then... Um, so as I embarked on that process, and eventually we sold African Harvest to Katie's uh, Financial Services, um, again, yeah. some people came to me from within African Harvest and said to me, Magda, what are we all doing next? And I kind of went, well, who is we? Um, and I was shown a list of people who said, you know, they're not going to Katie's. They are following me to whatever it is that I will be doing next. And, you know, I didn't really have a game plan. But I had to develop one very quickly. And that's really how Signia came about. We started the company with, I think, six or seven people in a room. Uh, we had some systems. We had no capital backing us up whatsoever. So everyone was willing to work for no salaries again. Um, but we, you know, we looked at, uh, and that was 11 years ago, and we looked at the financial services industry and we said, you know, we want to do things differently. 
having come from an active asset management background, you know, I had this, um, you know, very strong understanding of financial services. And, um, you know, it's an industry which actually at the core of it is very simple. But there is so much jargon that has evolved around financial services. And that jargon is there for a very specific purpose, and that is to enable this industry to charge very high fees because you are always willing to pay for something you don't understand, particularly when it comes to savings and investing. You don't want to think of it as a very simple proposition. You want to think of it as a little bit of art and a little bit of science and a little bit of magic. And it's none of those things. Um, so what we decided to do, be, you know, given that we had no brand name, we had no assets and no real performance track record, is we decided um, that you know, we were just going to do things differently. So differently meant low cost. Um, transparency of all fees and charges, so as much transparency as we possibly could introduce into this equation, and no financial jargon will be used. Um, and also, you know, I've always had a very firm grasp of technology and the importance of technology um, on the future. And so very quickly on, we started developing our own systems. Um, I employed software developers at African Harvest, which we took across to, to Signia. So we built very firm and strong administration platforms. And, you know, with that approach, we started attracting clients, clients being South African pension funds, who started investing money with us. And we managed that money on the basis of kind of combination of blending together very low-cost passive strategies, which we managed ourselves. So it's, um, you know, it's a type of investing where, instead of deciding whether you're going to invest in Anglo-American or into MTN uh, based on combination of, you know, quantitative and qualitative criteria, you basically invest in market indices. So the easiest example is the JSC All Share Index. And effectively what Mm. you do is you buy every share in that index in exactly the same proportion as the index. Um, Mm. And, of course, what that means is you don't need to employ portfolio managers who you pay 10 million rand per annum salaries. Um, You know, you can employ very bright, very smart statisticians, even young statisticians and mathematicians to run the money. And that allows you to then price the products at a very low fee. And so, you know, we started running products um, based on these passive strategies. We would commingle them with uh, portfolios managed by the likes of Coronation and Ellen Gray, active managers. Um, and we started designing investment strategies for pension funds. Um, and then we used our technology sure. to provide, you know, excellent client service. And we attracted a lot of clients that way. I think we grew the institutional client base to um, over 120 or 30 billion about four years ago. And um, we are currently at, we currently manage uh, 174 billion. And four years ago, we decided to enter the retail market. So that is providing savings products to individuals, men in the street. And again, we decided to do things differently and differently meant lowest possible cost that we possibly can invent. And so we started offering unit trusts as well as savings products such as retirement annuities and living annuities um, at what truly is the lowest cost proposition in South Africa. So you can buy a retirement annuities through Signia and, and um, 
a unit trust which invests in a whole you know, multi-asset class investment strategy for 0.4% per annum, including VAT. And that really shook up the market. Sure. Um, because, you know, this yeah. industry is used to charging 2 to 3% per annum fees, not 0.4% per annum fees. Um, so, so that was this real disruption um, in the retail market. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we, we went on okay, from there. I mean, we, launched, mm. mm-hmm. we launched more products, same philosophy, no, no, I'm, I'm, low cost, mm. transparency, so, I mean, it's, excellent client service. It's, it, it's to me, I, I envision a book coming along here. I mean, I've listened very carefully <laughs> to what, what you've said, all the way from your background, your upbringing, uh, from where you come, uh, you know, a refugee camp all the way into South Africa. I mean, it, it's just, I, I hope that in the, in the back of your, your mind somewhere, although books are not the way to go so much anymore, but I hope somewhere in the back of your mind, uh, this story will be shared much broader. And then you've taken this business from, I don't know, I read somewhere 2 billion of assets in 2006 to, as you say, 174 billion now. I mean, that is just incredible. Movement. We talk about leaders on the business of movement. So if you give a Nelson Mandela and a F.W. Clark, whoever, a country that's not equal, then they move it to equality. Or if you give a, a small asset management business to a, a Magda, uh, she moves it to $174 billion, uh, you know, in assets. So that is incredible movement, and that is leadership. And is there anything else you haven't mentioned? I mean, you've touched on a lot of things. We've spoken about leadership, yeah. on, on sound business principles, differentiation, technology, a lot of things that have helped you um, create this movement. Is there anything, any other little secret, not a secret, but, you know, any other magnificent mm-hmm. principle that, that you use to get to this point? Uh, it's a remarkable story. Well, there is one, and that is, you know, my philosophy has always been uh, you never imitate, you always innovate. So what that means is you actually never look at what competitors are doing. Just say that again. I think think technology led us down there, the line. You you always just say that again. It's failing us. So what I said is that you never imitate, you always innovate. So what that means in practice is Hmm. that you never look at what competitors are doing, and we never do. You know, if we start a new business or a new division, we always start with a blank sheet of paper and we design a business model that pragmatically makes sense to us. And obviously the people you get into the room to do that have to have the relevant experience. But instead of looking at what others are doing, you invent something that is unique, that is, you know, but which intuitively is the right answer. And it's only once you invent that and design that do you start worrying about the pricing strategies or the marketing strategy or the technology that you need to implement the solution, but you start with a blank piece of paper. And that also has been a core philosophy, which has allowed us to develop you know, extraordinary products, uh, which no one has been able to um, imitate to date. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we've never followed what the PEC is doing. We always try to do things differently. Um, and that, you know, okay. if, particularly if you're starting up, is the foundation of any business. 
um, you know, if, if you just imitate what others are doing, then there will always be a bigger, stronger dog around who has a bigger marketing budget, who has done it for longer, who has better administration. And hence, you know, if, if you're hoping to start and lead a business, you need to base that business on innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, 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 that's a powerful principle. Louis, you've, you're sitting here taking notes. Uh, Louis, the old man, is a, is a, is a crazy note-taker. And, and your thoughts so far on this uh, wonderful story. I feel like I've been blind to the story. And suddenly you've popped into the media. I'm, I'm probably just behind times or something. Uh, and we'll, we'll get there now. But, Louis, your comments quickly? Magda, I, um, obviously from a leadership point of view, uh, we see a great deal of courage. Um, one can't have this philosophy if you haven't based it on some solid <laughs> solid pain <laughs> along the way. And we've never come across a quality leader that has not walked, you know, the kind of life of pain as well. Um, we love the idea, if, don't imitate but innovate. Uh, however, it does take a lot of personal confidence and trust and even a certain vulnerability with the people you work with. I can imagine you starting with a blank sheet of paper and how vulnerable you are prepared to be because we're starting with a blank sheet of paper. But with an overriding trust and confidence that we're going to come with something worthwhile. We, are, we, we, we love that. We really do. Yeah. Um, I you know, I've always talked you, you about pan- the fact that, please go. No, 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 I think a comment on what Louis said, because I'm, I might change the course of the conversation a bit. Um, so, you know, I've always talked about the fact that, you know, when you're innovating, you do have to surround yourself with experts in the field, and you need to trust people around you and trust their opinions. Uh, but also, you know, in order to kind of immunize the business against failure, you've got to have numerous, I always talk about having numerous lines in the water. And, you know, you're fishing. You're always fishing. And some lines will catch whales, and some lines will catch sardines, and some lines will catch nothing. And you've got to recognize when you're catching nothing with a business idea, not to be afraid to pull back that line and admit that it's a failure and withdraw. Retreat as quickly as you possibly can Mm -hmm. at the lowest possible cost. Uh, because really, to be successful in business, you only need to catch an occasional whale. Mm, that's mm-hmm. a very powerful principle. This is like real MBA stuff. Um, uh, I'm also <laughs> very I'm fascinated by your passion for ethics and morals to the point that you are even willing to stand alone. Uh, there was a time, even with a KPMG thing, that we, it seemed like you're standing alone for a short while, and, and in the end, you're not yeah. alone anymore. But where does this originate from? Is it your upbringing? Uh, is it your mother? Is it your, I don't know, why are you, do you have the courage and, and the boldness to stand alone and, and feel so strongly about morals and, and, and ethics? You know, I think that a few things. Um, I mean, a few years back, I was chatting to an industrial psychologist who just asked about my background. And he said that to me something that really resonated. And he said that he thinks that many of the decisions I've made in life come because of my non-linear childhood. So, um, and my childhood was not linear. It was a fight. You know, I was certainly my formative years, you know, up until the age of 12 when we left Poland. That was a normal childhood. I, um, you know, went to school like everyone else. We celebrated the same holidays, birthdays, and life was relatively stable. 
But the moment, you know, Poland went bankrupt and the communist system started collapsing and we became refugees. And overnight, I was plucked out of normalcy. And we crossed the border in the middle of the night with, you know, three children and parents and a grandmother. And we landed up in a refugee camp where, you know, I've got this lasting memory of the guy above me in the bunk bed. He walked all the way from the Ukraine and he's, uh, he got gangrene in his feet. So the smell was overwhelming, you know, and we spent nine months in the refugee camp. And of course, then we came to South Africa. We didn't speak any English or Afrikaans. Um, you know, th those high school years were a fight. Um, it was kind of a fight for survival. And it was a fight for survival, not only by myself, but by my parents who had to recreate a life. I mean, we arrived here with $500 in the bank account and three suitcases. So it was this fight to recreate a life. And I guess what's happening to me now in terms of, you know, whether you call it moral courage or bravery, you know, I've been a refugee once. I don't want to be a refugee again. I understand both politics and economics. Um, I understand different political systems. And I understand that, you know, if the right things don't happen in this country, we will land up in an economic collapse with even greater levels of poverty and inequality. So unless people are willing to stand up right now and be counted, you know, a year from now might be too late. And I think that that is what mm. gives me the drive. I do not want to be a refugee again. I think I heard uh, Nick Benadal recently say something to the effect of, and it's a philosophy I seriously believe in, is if you're not some form of at this stage, there's big trouble for you and for everyone around you. We all have to be some sort of, I call myself an authentic leadership activist. That's what we are at Leadership Platform. Magda, recently I heard a comment, I think it was by Professor Nick Benadel, uh, where he said something to the effect of, and it's something I believe in because, because that's what we are. We are authentic leadership activists. He said if, if in South Africa you're not some sort of act at the moment, then, then you will be in trouble and maybe even society at large and that's what i just heard you say the corruption effect start in south africa has just missed that you've always been there or was that the real catapulting you into sort of the more public arena where you are a crusader against corruption well i think you know the, the crusade it is that recognition that that you know we cannot afford any you know greater levels of poverty in this country than we have already and if we don't get our economics right as quickly as we possibly can, then that is where we're heading. And in order to get the economics right, you, we need to get the politics right. We need to get, you know, the politics back on track to talk about, and, and the conversations need to shift away from conversations about Gupta leaks and corruption to conversations about education, free education for that matter. You know, I'm an passionate advocate of free education. Um, you know, I live for this dream where I can write a white paper on how one can provide free education to everyone in South Africa using the latest technology. And it is so easy to achieve. Um, you know, if I was, and I am not a minister of education, neither do I intend to run for politics, but, um, you know, if I was, I could resolve the education problems in this country using the latest technologies very, very easily. So 
you know, we need a government and we need a political situation where those are the conversations that we are having, where we are having conversations about job creation, where we are having conversations about attracting foreign investment, uh, where we are proud of the leaders that are representing South Africa, uh, where we are having conversations about renewable energy, um, where we are having conversations about water. You know, that's one of the biggest threats facing humanity is water. Living in Cape Town, trust me, you know, I'm, I'm living firsthand through the experience mm. of what uh, lack of water means. Um, and this is where I would like to see South Africa moving towards. Um, and hence, you know, in, in this period of crisis, if I can do my bit to help raise awareness and to shake people up from this complete complacency that I'm seeing around me, um, particularly in the business community, then, you know, I will say whatever needs to be said, however controversial it is. Um, and it really is designed to shock. Even recently, you put your hand up again uh, when it came to the trillion whistleblower, Bianca Goodson. Um, very bold thing you're doing there, but, but I get a feeling that what you're doing is authentic. Mm -hmm. Of course, I haven't met you, but I hope to meet you. Uh, but but the feeling is that you're you're consistently pushing for things that that are bold, that send a strong symbolic message. And uh, and 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 uh, first, what society does often it, it, it ostracizes a person, but then mm -hmm. eventually, if if you are true and authentic, you you, you become victorious. And 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 uh, you seem to show that every time, Magda. Um, I mean, we don't have to go through the latest around this, but it's clear how you feel about the reaction by Sage. It, it feels like, you know, they certainly haven't cottoned on necessarily about the urgency of, of, of turning these people into euros. Quick comment on, on, on the, that whole episode. So, where, again, how you put your hand up and you stand leading yes. where you stand. So, you know, in this instance, um, you know, I'm a very firm believer that living through this these, you know, periods of corruption. We need people to be heroes. We need people to stand up. And you know what I'm finding amazing is that the people who are standing up are not business leaders. They're the little people. They're the whistleblower who released the Gupta leaks. It's, the, it's a Bianca of this world who, despite tremendous amount of intimidation and threats and threats to her personal safety and the safety of her five-year-old daughter, uh, took the bravest of steps and went public against the biggest of cr criminals that, you know, white-collar criminals that we have seen. Um, it's the person who leaked the KPMG SARS report, which was never supposed to see the light of day. Um, those are the people who are really standing up instead of people who, you know, live in mansions and drive fancy cars. Those are the true heroes. Those are the people who are showing incredible bravery. Um, and they have no resources. They have no resources to protect themselves or support themselves. And yet they're doing it for the country. So the question really is, what is the country doing for them? And if the message we're sending to those people is, you are going to lose your jobs. Because, you know, reputation, corporate South Africa steps back from those kind of people. Then what sort of a message are we sending to society? Um, so, you know, obviously when I heard about mm. Sage, when I heard about Bianca, I reached out to her. Um, and I found an incredibly competent woman. So let me be very clear on this. I offered her a job, uh, which she still has to accept, um, because of the skills and talents that I saw in her. 
as well as, you know, the things that resonate with me, which is incredible amount of bravery and a very strong moral compass. And those are the type of people I want at Signia. Those are the type of people I want in executive positions at Signia. So my reaching out to her, yes, was driven by the fact that I think people like that should not be called whistleblowers. They should be called heroes. They should be celebrated. Um, I reached out to her because I know, you know, through personal, I mean, the few things that I have done have already exposed me to the fact that, you know, my phone is tapped and, um, you know, various interesting um, images of me as a stripper have been posted on Twitter. Love that. Could I have a better body next time, please? Um, <laughs> so, really? Oh, um, but, you know, so that's, you know, the, the reason I reached out to her is because I thought, um, you know, we, we need to show South Africans that we are supporting these people. But actually what I found is a complete gem of a person. Um, and I think she will make, if she accepts the job at Signia, she will make a tremendous contribution to this company. So, I mean, again, it's just a wonderful story. I see that book happening. But putting that aside, I do want to, for a moment, stand up for corporate SA. I think there is a, a, a surge. There's something happening there. We've been in contact with someone like, for example, Bonang Mohale of BLSA. You see some bold, bold conversations there by himself uh, with full endorsement by, by those 80 CEOs or so that, that stand around the table. Um, the, the way they've reacted towards the corporates, on the, not on their board, but around their table, um, that, that seem to fall uh, you know, outside of their ethical or what do they call them, a moral uh, integrity pledge that they made to the country. I was at the launch also in Alexandra, and it seems like people like Bonang and his, and his board are trying really hard to, to lift the voice of business and, and to, um, to do what you're saying. So I, I think, and then when people like you come out and, and do bold things, it just gives all of us courage. But I, I do see something happening in the business community. I think BLSA, and, you know, I have attended uh, a meeting. Obviously, they've invited me. Um, I've always liked to live outside of the tent rather than inside of the tent. Um, but I think BLSA is finding its voice. I would like it to find more action. Certainly, I was there when they at the meeting when they drafted the pledge. And my question to them was, I did say to them, you know, I'm, I'm here by invitation, but, um, you know, I've got a question to you. And that is, what happens if once you launch this pledge, what happens if uh, the very next day one of your members breaches this pledge? And, you know, at that meeting, they didn't have an answer. In fact, they said to me, well, you know, there isn't much that they can do. But in fact, in the last couple of weeks, they have done things. So they have suspended KPMG and ESCOM and Transnet. So it seems that the realization that, you know, that, that um, verbiage needs to be backed by action has suddenly struck the, lead, the corporate leadership in mm. South Africa. But I would like to see more action being taken and more tangible action. Um, and, and there are initiatives on the go, but um, and, and things that I'm involved in that you know I, I can't talk about. But um, it's interesting that people who have reached out to me and offered support have come from business community, but not from the listed corporates. 
not from the big corporates. Um, mm. The support that I've received in various mm. initiatives has come from the private sector where the companies are owner-managed and privately owned, as opposed to the big leaders mm. of the corporate South Africa that you would expect. Yeah, and, and a part of that makes sense. You know, these these uh, these leaders have burnt their fingers in the past. I remember the first round group uh, when they tried to Paul Harrison then tried to to take on uh, government around crime with uh, letters in the Sunday Times. Some some years back, you may recall uh, how, mm-hmm. how fingers were burnt there. So there's probably a bit of a history, but I, I do sense a, a, a growth of in confidence to speak up, realizing that in fact we have a massive role to play. And, uh, and, and and I agree with you, we can have more, but I like the boldness that I'm hearing uh, coming from those quarters. So, I mean, just to, to start wrapping up in the next five minutes of our conversation, I'm, I'm loving it. I, I sense incredible um, power in your leadership and your voice and, and, and just, uh, just love your courage. I think that is what we need. And, and in fact, that, that's what authentic leadership is. It is all about courage. I want to quickly give you a definition, one of the best definitions I heard of, of what authentic leadership is. And, and maybe we can close around that. And I'd like you to comment briefly on what else we can do to raise more authentic leaders in South Africa. But, but here's the definition, being true to oneself and one's leadership position with a strong moral underpinning for greater good of all we serve. Dr. Tineke Wolfers, being true to oneself and one's leadership position with a strong moral underpinning for greater good of all we serve. Your thoughts on that definition? I think it's a great definition. I think it kind of encapsulates what I said right at the beginning in, you know, in much less eloquent terms and in a much more fragmented manner. Um, but it is that. It's this moral courage. It's the appreciation of one's position, influence, the ability to have empathy for others and to take others along with you on this journey. Um, I think that, you know, that probably encapsulates leadership, you know, in, in few words, but in a very powerful way. Okay. So, so what else can we do? I, I mean, a very simple thing I saw somewhere as I read up a little bit about you was you think uh, in schools we, it should be a, a prerequisite that kids must have a, a subject around speaking. Uh, you know, public speaking, that sort of thing. But but getting getting practical, even what more can we do to raise authentic leaders who stand up and have the courage to to be true to themselves and to their leadership position and to the the, the, the sort of broader good we serve. Well, one is to to show them what true leadership is all about. I think you know schools don't really teach leadership. You know, like leadership. In, and I've got two boys who are now, you know, 17 and 19. And, um, you know, leadership in a typical boys' school in South Africa involves being part of first-team rugby. That is not what mm. leadership is really about. So we need to change in at school level already the narrative around what constitutes true leadership. Um, you know, if we are hoping to produce leaders of the future, we need to give them the skills um, and yes, you know, I'm passionate about public speaking. I'm passionate about debating um, simply because if, you know, that is one of the main skills that our youth will need, need in this world of, you know, fourth industrial revolution where technology is going to take over manual jobs. Um, and the most important skills that you will have are quantitative 
skills and then qualitative skills in terms of EQ, ability to speak, ability to communicate. Um, and if you can teach kids to communicate early on, then early on you're giving them the courage to speak up, to speak up publicly, to speak up in meetings, to voice their opinions, to articulate their points of view. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm so passionate about this kind of vocal training and, and public speaking, mm. debating at, at very young age and very young level. Um, you know, I always recommend that, um, you know, if you've got young kids, send them to acting lessons um, or to vocal coaching if the school doesn't offer, you know, public speaking or debating. Um, because mm. I think that's the greatest skill that you can give to your kids. Yeah, I certainly agree with that so much. Hey, just your final comments before I ask Magda, Magda, specific message to corporate leadership or to leaders out there in general. But, um, you know, imagining there's a whole audience of them listening, what would you say to them? But before we do that, Louis, comments, views on, on, on what we take away from this conversation today? Magda, I uh, feel the conversation was inspirational. We have many fun conversations. This one was exceptionally inspirational. And we thank the thank you for that. Yeah, Magda, before before I give you the before I give you the final platform, this is called leisure platform. Before I put you on that platform for a final word, um, yeah, I haven't said this a lot to be honest. Our lives are about talking to leaders, interviewing them, engaging them on various levels. It's been for twenty years. One can sense a certain depth in, in their conversation uh, because of their background. It's an authentic background. It's not just a polished corporate one, if that makes sense. Um, it's it's one filled with pain and ups and downs and, and real rough edges. And uh, you, You've got that, and, and, and you've managed to found your vo- find your voice. People like you and Tuli Manoncela that we've engaged many times. She was at my book launch as well. And as you admire her, I do, and, and all of us probably. So I'm, I'm just exceptionally grateful that you found your voice voice because we need that and, and, and we also try and find our voice so so yeah, yeah keep that up and if we can help in any way then, then okay. absolutely we will and want to uh, your final words to leaders out there well my final words to leaders and people who want to be leaders um, are as follows look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and say to yourself am I proud of what I'm seeing and if the answer is no then ask yourself, what do I need to do to feel proud every single day of what I am doing? And if you just follow that basic principle, and whether you apply it to your personal life, whether you apply it to your business life, whether you apply it to your activist career, whatever it might be, I think if you can every single morning say to yourself, I'm proud of who I am, then you're a true leader. Thank you so much, Magda Vyuzhiska. Such a pleasure to talk to you. I, I didn't think it would be this inspirational. Um, I don't know why, but it's better than I thought. And I've loved every moment of it. CEO of Signia, who's found her voice and is certainly contributing to the, 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 the moral, um, I don't know, the moral momentum we need in our country and leadership, authentic leadership. Thank you for who you are and thank you for joining us. Absolute pleasure. For our leadership listeners out there, stay tuned for our Business Masterclass. Thank you for joining us again every Monday, 12 to 1. Take an early lunch break. It's your weekly Leadership Masterclass. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, everyone.
This is CliffCentral.com.